0: This week, on episode 34 of Insecurity and I don't discuss the open source security architecture group. We have someone else discuss it for us.
1: You can go to our website at in-security.org where you can view our show notes, see previous episodes
0: and subscribe to the podcast. Send us emails to feedback at in-security.org
1: and follow us on Twitter at insecurity show.
0: My name is Matt
1: and my name is Max. So Matt, as you know, We aim to arm people with the knowledge of information security to integrate into the daily lives, even break into the information security side of the technology workforce. We've discussed enterprise technology ecosystems in episode 23 and information security specific roles in episode 24. In those episodes, we spoke really lightly about uh, architecture positions, so the different IT architecture positions and uh And the whole point of an i t architect really is to develop a blueprint uh, for how systems are going to interact together, and they want to define, if you'll remember these communication patterns for the way that they interact in in ways that are repeatable and scalable and you know just communicating um, across these these methods that uh, define the patterns in which these things work. So in my mind, I've always thought of architect roles as very much like an enterprise type role. You're not going to have a small shop that can afford to hire an IT architect, and rarely do companies contract people to do their own architect. So it always seemed to me like a very big type of organization that would have the ability to have an architect. And then I was listening to a podcast called the Southern Fried Security Podcast, and they had a guest interview on by the name of Rob Fuller. And he was talking about making an open source architecture so that people could come and leverage this material and apply it to their environment. And, and you don't have to be a big shop. You could be a small mom and pop shop. You could be a small enterprise like that graphic design firm we keep talking about. I thought it'd be very good to have our first interview rob fuller he had agreed to come on so um rob welcome to the insecurity podcast thank you very much and uh and so rob you have a, a little bit of a storied history with uh being on some podcasts and and doing your own things could you tell us a little bit about yourself
2: uh, so that's 10 years of stuff my my first kind of foray into you know Computers in general was way back when I my entire world of fun as a kid was um, cheating at games instead of playing them. So I'd I'd figure out what the memory address was. And I didn't know what memory addresses were at the time, what the memory address was, where the 100 you know points of health were. And then I'd freeze that memory address and then I'd never die. And and that kind of kicked me off into, uh, you know, that mindset that I that I could play the game how I wanted to play it, not how someone designed it to play. And after that, um, high school and stuff, I didn't really get too much into it in the way of computers. I got typing class and and, uh, and some computer programming class, but nothing nothing huge. Um, and then I got shipped off to um, in the Marine Corps over to Okinawa, Japan, did explosives and stuff, which is a lot of fun until it gets boring, and I can explain that. And then came back and did uh, Marine Corps computer stuff, worked for the Senate for a little while, the the Pentagon for a little while and did all kinds of fun, fun things after that. But when I came back, I met a really interesting group of guys um, that they were starting a podcast called Hack5, 5, H-A-K-5, 5, and got to be really good friends with them. And they let me on the show a couple of times and and they kind of blew up um, and Darren moved it out out to San Francisco and, and I've been friends with them and, and I just recently started a show over there. Uh, well, last year started a show over there called Metasploit Minute, um, that I fly out to do nine back-to-back recordings of, um, and then fly back in a weekend, which is mayhem. <laughs> reminds, reminds me of my Marine Corps days of no sleep. Um, but yeah, I've, I've mostly been an offense guy though. So, getting to be sort of a enterprise security architect. And that's what my new role is um, recently is I started looking for information on this stuff and, and really was at a loss. Like there's really nothing out there. Everyone's their own special flower. Um, And nobody shares information. Like the only thing I could find were, were training documents from Cisco from, you know, 1940, Right. So I'm sorry to lead that in. But <laughs> that's why I was talking to the uh, Southern Friday security podcast, uh, because I was like, um, am I the only one that can't find these? I know I'm new to the like architecture, like the the good guy side of things, the the blue side. Um, am, am I just not seeing this stuff? And they're like, no, it's not out there. Um, so I created a project called the Open Security Architecture Group. So OSAG. Open Source Security Architecture Group, and uh, we haven't really kicked it off yet. Like it's it's still kind of growing and, and figuring out the mission statement of it right now. Um, but that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today, if that's all right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's why we'd like to have you on. And a little bit more background about you. You, you were talking about how you have experience on on the offensive side, so specifically around your penetration testing history. And I wanted to let you highlight some of the work that you've been doing with the national CCDC or the Cyber Collegiate Defense competitions and uh, maybe let some of our listeners know what that is or even that that's an option.
2: Right. So there's a there's a a number of ways that um, lots of organizations are trying to get out there um, and help train or help um, teach people in cybersecurity, um, and get more talent into the, into the field. And one of those ways that I've been actually a part of, this will be, uh, year number 10. And, I and I joined in the second year. So year number nine for me was the mid Atlantic CCDC. And this is a regional level of the cyber collegiate defense competition, as you said, um, which is basically a, um, a competition where a group of college kids and this is regional so um there are state and even college level competitions to get to the region um much like football um or high school football if you get to this this level if you get to the regional level you are basically put in as your group from whatever college you're from into this organi- quote unquote organization that just had its IT team up and leave the contract ended or or they got fired or whatever the scenario is and you're essentially put where well, your team is put in front of you know eight nine ten fourteen twenty two computers virtual or otherwise and you have to not only harden it and protect it but you have to deal with a ceo that has you know uh, and a whole business that has these different injects they call them or or business needs that come along with it as well as a, a trained red team so I've been red teaming uh, for the Mid-Atlantic region, as I said, for nine years, and I started um, about three or four years ago doing nationals as well. And nationals is is the kind of is the group that started it, and they're more of the you know, like the Olympics, the end all be all of the best of the best of defenders on on the on the uh, college side.
0: Just for the sake of clarification here, red teams in this competition are the ones that are attacking the systems and blue teams are the ones that are defending the system. The college team, the college teams that you're talking about are the blue teams who are there to defend.
1: Wow, so it's really like a real-world scenario if you, you know, as we're seeing in the news, more and more uh, companies getting breached and, uh, you know, obviously security folks getting turn- turnover in that, Field and coming and getting plunked into a new job if you're out of college.
2: Yep. So it's it's a really great experience and there's a number of different other programs that are out there for even high schoolers to kind of get ready for this type of competition. But uh, it's been really beneficial. And the cool thing about it, from my point of view, as far as an as an attacker is, um, I have to be so much better than I have to be on a pen test or a red team assessment because. In this in this scenario at CCDC, it pushes me because I have to deal with an adversary, a blue teamer who's constantly looking at my my stuff or or his computer who's constantly looking at at the single computer he has to manage or the one or two computers he has to manage. So my stuff has to be invisible, like ultimately invisible, and that's that's been a, such a a boon for my you know my creativity and, and um. And ability to make malware and, and and know how an attacker works because I've had to overcome essentially the, one of the hardest hurdles to deal with as an offense person.
1: So I guess a lot of companies in the real world would have you know security forces that are supposed to be monitoring things in a security operations center, uh, and the expectation is that they're looking at every event that comes in and dealing with uh, every every single flag that comes across. I mean, the reality is there's the the density of population for actual people managing the SOC versus the amount of assets in which they have to defend is you know hugely scaled towards the efficiencies of of people not having the manpower or barely having enough manpower to see these things. They probably don't always feel like they're under attack. Whereas in this competition, there's a, a much more one-to-one relationship between the type of platform that a defender is managing. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, and you definitely have a 100% knowledge that the red team is there, right? So you know right. that there's a bad guy. And there, These competitions only last two days for each region or national level. They know that this is going to happen, which is where a normal defender would be looking out for someone to come, but may not come for a week or two weeks. Um, The other difference is that lots of corporations, even mid-sized corporations, don't have socks. Like their security guy is one or two or three sysadmins that have been promoted because they know this security thing. Mm. Okay, so no no formal training,
1: Uh, you know, just learned through School of Hard Knocks and they're... View of the information security landscape might be very niche into what their specialty is.
0: I've heard right. that Bill down at accounting has a computer. He's the new
1: CISO. <laughs> and more and more, uh, as we're seeing, uh, people are outsourcing their operations centers to other locations that have a foothold view into their organization. Or maybe that organization has retained a certain level of employees to actually deal with the alerts once it's been escalated up to them. So they act like a second or third level uh, security task force, whereas, you know, the alerts are going to some other center, maybe. Right. So that's that's very cool. So that gives a little bit of perspective on the attack side. You've also actually helped out the defenders in the blue team by coming up with some works on how to win at CCDC. I believe that's uh, (laughs) something that you constantly maintain to help out the blue team, give them a fighting chance.
2: Yeah. um, So so CCDC is very unrealistic, right? You're never going to have a one to one ratio on attacker defender or system to defender Right. So uh, what I did was I I created this how to win CCDC stuff because there's so many different dynamics in CCDC that's relatively difficult to control. Like there might be a college team who is is very new and won the regional or won the regional qualifiers just out of luck because they were, you know, I'm not, that's hard. I'm not trying to just disc- Just credit any college that has gotten to regions, regionals, because that's definitely a a feat. But... There's, there's a lot of times where there's, there's colleges that have been there year after year after year, just like in football. Like I'm, I'm not a big football fan, but it's very corollary. Right. So there, there, there's these teams that continue to come back and back and back and, and the new teams are at such a disadvantage because they've never dealt with, you know, the big, bad red team or, or the big, bad CEO that we have at mid Atlantic, which who's awesome. I love him. Mr. Costas is uh, amazing, but Uh, so what I did was I created a, a how to win CCDC PowerPoint and basically used a lot of the blue teamers that I'd known for year after year after year going to this thing to help me build this. And, and the reason is, is because there's no information sharing, right? So, um, just like in the real world, each team doesn't want to give away their trade secrets on how they defend better. Right. And in, right. In big corporations don't want to do that either. So I created a, a PowerPoint just so that I could get more information out there so that my job would get harder. And like the the harder my job, the more fun I get to have, because I love challenges and I like to build better and stronger stuff. And I, I don't like to be bored. <laughs> right. Right. If, Teams come with a very low knowledge and, and are just starting out, which is it's fine. That's great. But the challenge for me is is less and less. Right. So it's a very self-centered way of thinking about it. If I can train the blue teams better, I get a bigger challenge.
1: The defender team, uh, those are college students. Are the attackers teams hardened pen testers?
2: Um, sometimes. Uh, so the mid-Atlantic team has a uh, So I run the mid Atlantic red team and we have an eclectic group. We have malware reversers. We have pen testers. We have people who own their own companies and make products we have all over the board. And, and some of them have don't do any kind of offense work other than mid Atlantic CCDC. So it's not always, you know, Uber red team, always attacking mindset kind of people. Um, it's, it's, we just work together and we plan ahead we 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 do as much planning ahead as as some of the blue teams do
1: fantastic thanks again for you know contrasting the your work history in the past and and your involvement with these things and what you're doing now to start elevating up the uh the defense side um, you have another presentation I've seen around the attacker ghost stories which is uh again how to make a pen tester's job more difficult there'll be a link to that in the show notes as well as some of the other materials that we've discussed
0: for this episode we'll find that at in-security.org slash ep034 the how to win ccdc powerpoint how hard was it for you to not put a backdoor in that powerpoint
2: so it's a Google slide, so I didn't have any chance to put it back door. Oh, right. in it. <laughs> and and honestly and, and completely honestly, I, I really want the teams to get better, right? So um I don't think Mid Atlantic has ever or not ever, has gone to nationals or we've gone to nationals, obviously. We've we haven't won nationals in a while. So the 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 better prepared I can get my region and that's what I see it as my region better as as defenders than the better chances they have at, you know, at nationals. Right. Fantastic. So the attacker ghost stories uh, stem from just the idea that there are these so many, so many stupid small things that defenders can do with no cost, zero vendor, no blinky lights that would make uh, an attacker's you know, life utter hell. Right, so they'll they'll never get the. They have a really hard time getting in, and that means that attacker, an aggressor, uh, APT or whatever um, you have, um, will also have such a hard time getting in. And it just was really frustrating as as an attacker, as someone who's trying to help businesses grow and and get better that they didn't see these things that they didn't do these things i figured it was obvious and from my point of view they were right
1: right but it goes back to what you were saying is people don't share this information right and so i see you as as doing that and you're talking um a lot about you know people are beginning to share indicators of compromise across uh, and that's kind of an in industry term for you know patterns of how when somebody gets breached you know, the obvious signs that they could have seen. And this gets shuttled off between organizations and their threat intelligence, uh, sharing tools, or uh, I work for a financial industry, so we've got like large financial industries sharing information on these indicators of compromise where they can start dealing with this stuff. But I think actually in your attack ghost stories, you go a little bit deeper than that and you start talking about the tools that you can just start spin up a, a virtual machine or whatever, that no one's supposed to touch, that's what we term as a honeypot, and allow people to, to connect to that and flag connections to that and make that the highest priority alert.
2: Right. So um, my problem with IOCs is I can't give a mom-and-pop bakery um, that has to deal with credit cards a an IOC and say, here, here's a threat to your company. Um, but what I can do is say, if you install EMET, if you install... Um, a, a really easy proxy that I can help you set up and these other things you'll never have to worry about, you know, someone compromising your network so that you lose a bunch of money because our financial system is is set up so that um, all the liability is on you. Right. So so that was what, really what Attacker Ghost Stories was about, was about. Like any business level, any size, these are the things that can are that are free or mostly free that can just stop attackers dead and the fact that they're not being shared at like RSA or 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 places that are basically vendor shows it really gets under my skin so hmm, i wonder why <laughs> right sorry
1: uh, no that's 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 fantastic it fires me up <laughs> no I, I get it i get it and um and pen testers have like this methodology that they've started to develop to be more successful and we talk a lot on this podcast about the kind of arms race, right? So, the attackers, you know, get more precise and and they refine their tools so that they're better at attacking a system or or people, and they they kind of elevate their game. And then defenders have to elevate their game on the other side.
2: But they don't. The attackers don't raise their game. They're like we're still getting in with default passwords. The the agreed, pen test agreed. community has not raised their game in like twenty years. But there is that p test. <laughs> framework oh totally there's the space to do it like um i applaud all of the pen testers and red red teamers who who have made like all kinds of amazing little ways to get into businesses and their exploits and all that kind of stuff but if i can still get in with a default password i'm gonna get still get in with the default password right so yeah like i don't need all that fluff i don't need all the crazy like crypto um tunneling you know jumping around stuff. I just you know log into the web app that has you know command execution in it. Right. So there is this group of pen testers,
1: I guess, working on developing this guide called the that's standardsorg mm. It's the PTES or the penetration testing execution standard. There's a different initiative at doing com. Which is the strategic defense execution standard, and they're trying to, you know, build up, but they're a lot less mature than the the P test guys, and um, in kind of doing okay. what you're talking about, right? What are the easy things that we can do as an organization to to start doing IT basics, the stuff, the fundamental stuff that Matt, you and I have been talking about, putting the fun in fundamentals, in in laying out, you know, the framework. To address the low-hanging fruit and build up your your IT practice, not even a security
2: practice, so that you can start dealing with you know security issues. Right, that's awesome. I hadn't heard about this. This is amazing. I'm part of the PTES group, and I I, I will definitely check this out. I'm, I'm on the website now, looking at it. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it was initially um, put about by Mercurial. He was the one who who first gave a kick at the can. Mercurial is uh, James Arlen. He had initially started this up and it didn't go very far, but he's been talking about it a lot. And then if track or I am it, he he really kicked it along. So, you know, trying to get that work going as well to develop, uh, you know, get a basic mom and pop shop or an enterprise organization to understand the the framework of this. So, When I heard about your open source architecture, I thought, you know, perhaps this is something that could fit in. So finally getting around to it, can you give us a a high level view of (laughs) the objective of the open source architecture?
0: Hang on. Sorry. One sec. Before we go to that, I just really want to ask you, um, at the start of, uh, of this, you mentioned that When you looked around, the only thing you could find was these old Cisco documents. In your opinion, is there nothing other than these because nobody identified that there was an actual need for this? Or do you think that there is some other reason why we didn't really have anything other than this.
2: So I I think that what happened was that everyone has, you know, consultancies or and they probably have documents on how to do things. I know in the Marine Corps, we had our uh, uh, a suite of tools that was at every single every single base. Right. Um, And we had that documentation on exactly how that looks and feels and installs and everything. So I think that every business that actually has a repeatable perimeter, they have this documentation, but I don't think it's very public, right? So no one wants to publicize that their router is in front of this this specific IDS and, and, and off of this switch and this kind of version and th- that kind of, you know, I don't think anyone wants to publicize that because that opens them up to attack, right? So... I think that the main reason is that it just never crossed anybody's mind, right? Why Why would I publish an, an architecture document?
0: So it's kind of nobody wanted to take responsibility for it. Nobody wanted to say, so this is what we do because it just leaves them open. Yep. Hmm.
1: And uh, at my work, you know, I deal a lot. With uh, architects, we've got solution architects, we've got infrastructure architects, we've got security architects. And the architectural process, at least in my organization, and I'm looking to you, Rob, to confirm if it's everywhere or just mine. um, But the architecture process is very much the scientific method where someone comes up with a hypothesis and says, "Okay, we should be doing it this way. And then other people criticize it constructively or whatnot and try to poke holes in it. And say, okay, well, how do you consider this? How do you deal with that? How do you define this? Yep. Maybe you're, you're breaching our internal standard here. And, uh, and through this collaborative effort, actually make a stronger architecture.
2: Oh, definitely. And I think that's really how much, many organizations work, right? Um, but that doesn't help anyone. In the, in in the end time, like when, when they finally roll that out, you know, that helps the business and, and that that's great. But, um, but everybody's doing the exact same thing. And the ultimate, um, bane of the existence of a hacker is, is repeated work. Right. So, um, So just transitioning into the open source source security architecture group, um, what this thing is, is basically, initially, it's just a group that comes together and says, um, this is going to be our mission statement. And I've been writing that for the last couple of days to try and get that down um, as defined as I can as a draft. And I'm going to push it out to the group. And then then what we're going to do is build a web app. And this web app is going to be a, a point-and-click, choose-your-own-adventure. And this is just how I'm envisioning it now. It can definitely um, change and, and mod and modify as as people put their two cents into it. And it's basically a choose-your-own-adventure. And that's what uh, someone, I forget his name, who suggested it on the uh, Southern Front Security podcast, uh, Stephen, um, suggested it. What you do is you go to this web app, and again, this is how I'm envisioning it um, now, and you say, oh, I'm a business with 500 employees. I ha- I deal with millions of dollars and I'm in this sector. And then it says, okay, this is the suggested architecture of this. Um, would you like to add, you know, XYZ onto it? It'll have a router, a switch, you, you know, here are the vendors that are in the price range of a, uh, our 500 employee company. Uh, and there'll be everything from purchased routers to Soho routers to something, you know, you can build yourself. Um, and that's the beauty of it that I think is going to be the most powerful thing. Right. You can't buy your way into this list. Um, you can be suggested by the group. And then um, once once that group says, yay, nay, or it doesn't really fit this level, uh, the quotes I got from this company are are way above what, a you know, a, a a two person company could deal with or, or anything like that. Right. So it's just going to be a very collaborative group making this architecture. And then once, once you see all this, you can say, well, okay, I have, I have the switch. I have the router. I have that, you know, check it off and say it all kinds of kind of looks like this. Show me like the internals that that you suggest for this, and what what software and what open source software, what paid for software might be good for what I'm looking at doing, and then you can go into the inter- internal or DMZ, um, and maybe a few things on how to set that up, or even links to how to how DMZ should be set up. And I'm I'm not trying to collate all the all the information into one central location. It can definitely be links to, you know, to places that can just take you much further and deeper than this is supposed to go, but it's supposed to basically supposed to give you, you know, that kind of idea that, that you would have to pay for or get training on to kind of learn. So uh, mom and pop coffee shop or um, is going to not know where their credit card machine is supposed to be connected. They're just going to plug it into links this router and, and hope it works, right? Right. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna slow you down a little bit and get you to solidify some of these thoughts,
1: if uh, you don't mind too much. Um, sure. So the type of audience in which this is going to go to, are you saying that in a larger scale organization where they do have architects, this is going to be a repository of architectures that they can leverage? Yeah. Every every, every then, level of business, every level. Of and business. then a smaller shop that has like no IT. It's just the one business person. You know who uses the computer for billing and pretty much nothing else right there's gonna be a a pattern developed for
2: them as well yeah definitely and and suggestions like you know this is a bad router to get because it has a default port open and get those uh attackers attacker mindset into it as well right okay so 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 there's also going to
1: be um not only an architectural pattern developed saying you know this is where you place a firewall or you have You know, if you're a mom and pop shop, you have a modem that has a firewall built in and then you have a secondary, you know, firewall router that you manage or something like that. But you're also going to say like these are the products that are good and not good. So you're going to actually get into the tooling for this.
2: Yeah, most mostly good. We're going to stay away from kind of the bad stuff is especially when you get into enterprise level, because um, most mostly uh, things that are bad are only bad because they're configured bad. (laughs) or or they're just vendors who don't give a crap but that's a whole another topic Um, and and i'm I'm not so sure because we're in canada right
1: we're not such a litigious uh place but i I believe that there have been you know talks pulled from security conferences or people getting threatened to be sued about telling people what's wrong with some
2: vendors products right all it is is going to be like Uh, highly suggested or our our point system or stars or, or however we make it. Um, And it's going to be a group of a half dozen or a hundred. I think we're up to like 35 members already of security people, defenders, attackers, all of them saying these five products, these seven products, these 10 products can do this.
1: Ranging from open source to purchasable.
2: Yep.
0: And it's not necessarily Um, going to be an endorsement of the product flat out. It's just going to say like crowdsourcing the opinions on the product, saying these are these are what we think work in these specific situations.
2: Yeah. And it's going to be totally anonymous as far as the like the stars or point system. So um, there could be 70 points, but you'll never know who those 70 points came from. That way we don't have, you know. Any Any kind of litigation opportunity there, so if someone says, "Well, this guy voted five hundred times on the same thing, it's just not going to be there
1: well I imagine that you would have some sort of uh, polling system that's not going to be exploitable like that as well. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not, unless you're of course using some sort of c m s oh God, no,
0: <laughs> the anonymity of this alone really brings like like you were saying, the only people who have been. Uh, gutsy enough to actually do this has been Cisco saying, here you go, this is the right way to do it. This way, if you have the anonymity behind it, then you don't have to say, well, you know, all of the the techs from Bank of America recommend this product because this is what they use and know. Right. right.
1: That- and I think that I was detecting something there where you were saying that, you know, dependent on the size of your company it shows which tool to use. Right. And so this would be, you know, maybe some sort of, patch management system or centralized firewall management or 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 cent- where, where you gain economies of scale where you where you tip over that breaking point is that what you're referring to
2: yeah we're not going to show like you know mom and pop business or even a mid-sized business you know host based intrusion systems with threat analytics just doesn't make <laughs> sense Right. Right. And I guarantee that this this group is going to, you know, argue over what levels are and and how to how to best mitigate those. And it'll be kind of my job as a mediator to kind of help quell that a little bit and and get a decision or at least, you know, agreement on something. So that's where I see my role being in this And, and mostly also to help make it make sure that it's anonymous. Right. So so that. Um, no one feels, you know, singled out or identified and you can sign up to the Google group as, as any, you know, email address you want. So you don't, it doesn't have to be Bob at AOL.com or, um, or, uh, Gene at bank of America. It can be, you know, Jean at Gmail and that's totally fine. Um, what I'm, I'm just looking for. Um, is people who have been in this and know kind of the lay of the land and want to help and identify how to help when there isn't help available.
0: Is there going to be some sort of vetting process for the people? Because, I mean, granted, you can sign up with any email address you want, but... Is there going to be some vetting process to stop gene the um terrible router salesman from going in and just continuously recommending his product?
2: what I'm going to rely on is the honesty of the group and mob rules to to kind of help quell that because um I started nova hackers uh, or me and Chris Gates started Nova hackers six years ago seven years ago eight years ago something like that. We found that our group has grown to seven six hundred someone. 100 members and the mob rules really works. Right. So if you get if you get one person spamming the list with, you know, a job offer and we've just had that recently, that's why it comes to mind. Um, I had like 17 emails in the first minute that this thing was published (laughs) to our list saying what the hell Kick this guy off the list Um, and uh, and we had him gone within a few minutes. Right. So I'm 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 hoping that if we get the right people, if we get the people who will who will um, speak out and, and get enough people, um, that that will not be a problem.
1: And I know it's still early days, uh, but have you considered different tiers of, of people who have been doing this? So, you know, the consultant that goes to the mom and pop shop versus enterprise scale financial industries versus nuclear power plant or whatever, you know, getting those different uh subject matter experts for different styles of business and maybe giving them a little bit more credo there? Or are we just going to fully go scientific method and let people find
2: flaws with whatever suggestions come up? I've heard and seen the, you know, the credentialed dynamic work um but it doesn't always work well like i've seen people who have you know been in the industry for 30 years or 500 years as their resume might say and they have horrible ideas yeah. right but i've also seen a kid who just came out of college who had amazing ideas right who could secure a multi-billion dollar company within minutes as soon as he came out of college so yeah. Um, no, to answer your question, I'm, I'm not going to vet or, or give specific responsibility based on credo. Um, that's why this is going to stay as anonymous as people want it to be. And I'm just hoping that the, you know, the open source model works. I'm putting my faith in it.
0: Cool. I think realistically with the InfoSec community, you're putting your faith in a good place. I hope so.
1: And so if there's anything right now you said you had I don't know 30 some people that are are signed up for this
2: where, where do you need help right now? Honestly, I just need more people. Um the more people the better and I'm I'm pretty good at uh yelling at people to stop bickering about things so um I'll take that on. <laughs> Uh, so I think that the more people, the better and we'll get, we'll get this thing actually knocked out if, if we find enough people. And one of the, I guess the main, main thing that we would definitely need at some point is a web developer. And that doesn't have to be someone part of the group. I mean, uh, at some point we just might, you know, want to buy or pay for a freelancer to do some of this work, but I'm not a web developer. I, I do some stuff, but it's really, you know, Junk code that can be put on GitHub and and then no one ever sees again. Yeah, I think at some point we might have to pull some money to finance a, a coder, or if they're unless they want to participate. And I think that's about it, though.
1: Okay. And
2: uh,
1: and any potential pitfalls you see that we really should be looking to avoid here?
2: So the pitfalls I see is um, is not enough people. If I don't get enough people. If i don 't get enough talent or uh, just ideas coming into this thing and forward motion on it it's it's a really way easy way for an open source project to die that 's why I've, i'm been ecstatic that you invited me on to your um, podcast to talk about this uh, the The more I get this word out the better and um, once I have a clear and, and, uh, visual st- mission statement, I'll, I'll get it off to the list, get some edits into it and then publish it on my blog and, and hopefully get it published other way, uh, other places as well. But I really want it to be a S you know, a solid idea before, um, before we go public with it that way, um, is it isn't criticized for, you know, grammar in the first, you know, five seconds.
1: Well, that's fantastic. We're really happy to, have you on to talk about this. It's something I'm excited about. Um, I'll definitely put my hat in the ring to participate.
0: Awesome. It really Um, sounds amazing with, of course, the possible exception that you'll probably just negate our entire podcast by going out (laughs) and making a product uh, or a service like this.
1: Hey, I'm happy with that. I've worked myself out of a job once and it was a
0: fantastic thing to do in the information security world. I feel like if you're not working yourself out of a job, then you're probably doing it wrong. (laughs) So I've, uh, I've had a
2: bunch of, uh, uh, consultants that uh, work at the small and medium business level, um, email me about this thing and they're like, what the hell dude, why why are you doing this? This is going to mean that I basically don't have a job. I'm like, um, no, you don't get it. This is making it so that you can do your job easier, so you can sit back on your couch ninety percent of the time. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, and I've had a number of different uh, security consultants actually come to uh, shoot me emails and set, send me stuff on Twitter, and like, thank you. I've been looking for something like this for years. Um, so I think that is, I think there's an interest. There's definitely been a huge uprising on people joining the group, um, and I've I've been. Uh, feeling really bad that I haven't gotten the mission statement out to them yet, but uh, I, I'm working on it. I got a lot of projects under my belt. Absolutely fantastic. Definitely
1: going to bring up that cat and mouse game to that next level um, because, you know, there are so, only so many things that you can solve through tools. Architecture does go a really long way to uh, to get those defenses in line. And, and you know, if you're doing an ad hoc architecture every single time then you're not going to have the right people looking in the right places you know to be be able to develop processes around that so fully support this uh awesome. and awesome to have you on uh i want to respect your time and you know let you do what you gotta do but uh very happy to have you on the insecurity podcast as our first guest thank you um,
0: the best the best interview we've had
2: <laughs> that's uh that's just so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a loss for words. So I'm like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, at, I'm standing in the front of the Grammys and, and just have nothing to say. Yeah. You're an, in a field on
0: your own. <laughs> i'm really really happy that you uh you you were willing to to give up your time to come on here also i appreciate that you're you know um willing to be a guinea pig as far as being our first interview so Not a problem, i appreciate at all. your uh willingness to help out here sure thanks for having me it's great to chat with you thanks all right i'm gonna hang up now <laughs> you know
1: that was That was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun doing that. Did you have a lot of fun doing that, Matt? Did you have a lot of fun?
0: Oh, my gosh. That was amazing. This is super exciting. It sounds like Rob is spearheading such an amazing initiative. And realistically, I just feel like the guy needs more stuff to do it. It sounds like, you know, his plate is empty. He just doesn't have enough projects to keep him busy. And as I mentioned before, with all the information he's throwing at us, there's going to be a lot of interesting show notes. You can always check them out at in securityorg ep 34 I think I hung up on him too early. There was something else that I wanted to say. I forget what it was. Oh, oh, wait. You have yourself a good week.
1: Ah, uh, you should have asked him to have himself a good week.